16. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When, Peter, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he, picked, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them to, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Cardinate. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Uh, one of the difficult things that you have to deal with in the book of Acts is how does, what is the connection between the work of God in the believers and the word of God that they preach? What is the, what is the relationship we're going to deal with between the miracles that we see in Acts, like the one that we see today, and the gospel that the, uh, the disciples were told right at the beginning to take from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth? 
This is something we have to deal with as well. At a personal level, we have to deal with how do, how do I become generous, loving, but at the same time, be a witness of Christ. How do my actions relate to my words? How does my character relate to what I say to people? Are they going to be converted by my words only? Or do my actions also have to be concurrent with that? The people in Acts had to deal with this. The church in the first century had to ask the same question as well. But they also had to ask another question. That how does the, what is happening now relate to Jesus who, who is now said to be ascended and is with the Father in heaven? What is the relationship between what Jesus did and what the disciples are doing? We are looking at two degrees further. What is the relationship between what we, we do and what the, the disciples did? But they had to go back as well to look at the relationship between wonder and the Word of God. Whether to look whether there is a continuity or discontinuity, whether there are connections, whether there are relationships, whether that which God did through Jesus is now going to do through the disciples. And whether that which God did through the disciples, is, is he going to do that through us as members of the church as well? So we're beginning to answer this question. And this morning we're going to focus specifically on the relationship between the word of God and the miracles of God. And, and uh, the way that Luke, who wrote this book, starts this, he starts by pointing to, uh, hinting to, a connection between the work of Jesus and the work of the disciples. The work of Jesus and the work of the disciples. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Look there with me in that narrative. You will see that it is very common when you read it. It sounds very similar to what you read in the Gospels, isn't it? You could replace Peter and John, with Jesus there. It occurred many times. This is one, it was one day Peter and John were going up to the temple uh, at the time of prayer. And at three in the afternoon, now a man who had been laying, was lame from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where every day he would beg at the temple courts. Verse 3, when he says them, he asks for money. And, there is, and, and Peter and John respond in verse 4, look at us. So this man gives them their attention and they say, silver and gold I do not have. But I, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped for joy and went to the temple with them. If you read this story, you think it's very similar to what you read in the um, 
uh, in the Gospels. For instance, the miracle, this miracle is very similar to what we read in the book of John chapter 5. I want, to, uh, I want us to turn there together. John chapter 5, verses 5 to 9. John chapter 5, verses 5 to 9. So John chapter 5, here again you have a man who has been, was sick for about 38 years in his life. Jesus saw him, verses 5, 5 to 9, Jesus saw him lying there and knew that the man had been sick a long time. Jesus said to him, would you like to be healed? The sick man said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is moving. When I'm I'm coming, another one gets in first. Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and picked up his bed and walked. And this happened on the day of rest, that is the Sabbath. That's just one example there. You can look at chapter 2 of the book of Mark, where someone is being lowered from the roof and um, Jesus heals them and they're able to, uh, to walk out of there. And that also happened on the Sabbath. But what we're seeing here in this story in the book of, of uh, John and in Acts chapter 3 is the remarkable similarities between what, the, what Jesus did and what the disciples are now doing. One, I'm going to point us to at least three similarities. On both instances, you have people who have had a long-term disability or sickness. One who had been uh, like this from birth, and the other who has been sick for 38 years. From birth, this man, as you read about in the book of Acts 3, he had been lame, that he had been disabled. His feet weren't able to walk. But also, in John chapter 5, you have someone who has been sick for 38 years. That's a long time in a person's life. Unable to walk, that he had to carry his bed or his mat around with him. And the reason why the Different versions use mat days because he, basically he was carrying around his bedding. In the second similarity, in both Acts and in John, we see Jesus and John responding with sympathy to this man. Would you like to walk? And then you also see the disciples in Acts chapter. 3 verses 6 in the first part, responding with sympathy to this man, taking him by hand. This is what they did to him. They helped him up. Taking him by hand, they helped him. At first they say, we can't help you with money, but what we do have, we can give to you. Healing, they offer. That's the last comparison there. Both instances have 
healing. And this healing is, in both cases, is instant. It is not drawn out, like Mark 8, for instance, where someone begins to see, and then later they, begin, they don't see clearly, and then, they begin, and then they see clearer and clearer from verses 34. But here, we have someone who is healed instantly. In the book of Acts, he takes up his, they take up his right hand, they help him out, and instantly... The man's feet and ankles become strong. And he's jumping up and down and walking. And they actually walk into the temple courts together. And in the book of John, in verse 8, Jesus says to him, Get up, pick up your mat and pick up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, he picked up his bed and he began to walk. So you have one, both instances, long-term disability. Both instances, responses of empathy and care from both Jesus and the disciples. And in both instances, you have instant healing. And this is happening in Jerusalem. In both instances. And there are reasons for this. I want to present to us. There are at least three reasons why Luke puts this here. And why he, uh, he, has, he has written the book of Acts in this way. The first reason I want to say is to provide a link between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his disciples. Now that Jesus has been crucified, the people presume that he is now dead, he is buried. And Peter comes, and he says, this Jesus whom you buried is now risen with God. It's possible that he could be basically uh, continuing what Jesus did as a way to claim the limelight for his own selfish ambition. Now that the king is dead, others are coming in and are taking his position. But... Luke doesn't want us to think that. He wants us to know that the ministry of Jesus, which began with acts of mercy, is the same ministry that the disciples are carrying now. The second thing here is to demonstrate that the God is on the side of the disciples just as he was on the side of, the, of Jesus. Remember in, uh, in, in, in Mark chapter 6, when we did that last year, where the, the people claimed that you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. Through evil you are doing this. And Jesus said, no, it is by the power of God that I'm able to do this. That same power that was able to heal people is now with the disciples who are doing the same. And the third reason here, which goes, takes us to the next section, is that they both, in both instances, the healing has a reason to it. The healing is done 
as a form of a spectacle. A spectacle that draws people in and enables them to hear the word of God. The spectacle that draws people in in the first part, the Pharisees uh, seem to be the target. Because if you read down, they're the ones who have a problem with Jesus. And Jesus has to defend his own authority to be able to heal on the Sabbath. Similar thing in Acts chapter 3, by the way. When Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, when he heals on the Sabbath, and he claims to be able to forgive sins in chapter 2, he uses that as an opportunity to share the word. So the reason, the, the miracles themselves have a purpose in both Acts and in the Gospels. When Jesus healed, he was not just merely healing because the doctor was far away, but his healing had a purpose. And that purpose usually comes as a it is usually explained to us as a response to opposition to his healing, as a, as a response to inquiries. Why people are asking themselves, why is he doing this? Why did he say that? And we see that in verses, three, in verses 11 to 16 of Acts chapter 3. So in the first part, the point that I wanted us to see there was that there is a connection between the work of Jesus and the work of the disciples. And the second thing that I want us to see in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 16, is that there is also a connection between the wonders of God in Acts and the Word of God. There is also a connection between miracles, acts of mercy, and the preaching of God's word. There is a connection be here between what God does through Peter and John, which is an act of mercy, which is what we call now mercy ministry, care ministry, and also the, the fact that there is sin in the world, what we now call spiritual problems. Let's see how that, is, how that is communicated in this book. So the first thing, the, 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 the thing that I want us to, to see is that right from the beginning in verses 11, the, the, the healing itself draws people and enables them to come and hear another explanation from Peter. Verses 11. While the men held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as, as if it is by our own power or godliness that we have made this man? walk. So therefore, this miracle has sort of created an audience for them. An, an audience who wants to know, that they, we know this man who has been sitting outside of the temple, unhealed, 
We know about him. Now he is walking. He is jumping in the temple. And he is keeping himself close to Peter and John. He is holding on to them in verse 11. And Peter uses that opportunity. Not to say free, free healing is here. No, there's no longer a need to go to the doctor. Not to point to, to say, okay, come and you, will, and you will see more miracles. There will be more spectacles. There will be more wonders. No. But instead he uses this miracle. Like a signboard, like a sign that points people somewhere else. He says, it's not about us. Why are you surprised? Why do you stare at us? Verse 12. As if it is by our own power or godliness that we have made this man walk. Why do you stare? How different is this from what we normally see with uh, our preachers on television? With our preachers in tents, who normally dress very fancy to draw people to themselves. When they advertise the, 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 the ministry, their ministry, they normally uh, put their pictures in there to say that you are going to experience power from this bishop, from this famous preacher. But look at Peter and John. Why do you stare at us? This is not about us. This, is not, this has nothing to do with our godliness. This has nothing to do with our power. But it has to do with someone else. The God of Abraham, verse 13. The God of, of Isaac and Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified his servants. You handed him over to be, to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, he's saying to them now that God is using the one that you guys killed, the one that you handed over to Pilate to do this, the one that you disowned, verse 14, the righteous one who had not sinned, instead of having uh, him released when Pilate asked, you asked that a murderer be released. This one has been exalted. This servant of God, the one who handed him over to be killed, has been Exalted has been glorified by God. It is by his power and authority that we are able to do this. Therefore, what is happening with the miracle is that the miracle itself is being used as a signboard that points to Jesus. That says, remember him, the one you killed? That's where life is. 
the one you, that you guys would rather have a murderer instead of him? He is the Holy One. He is the one who is set apart. He is the one who is righteous, who is perfect, without sin, and undeserving of the death. He is the author of life, the source of all that exists, and therefore he has the power to restore it. The healing of this man provides an opportunity for Peter to exalt Jesus, to point to Jesus, to say, Christ is great. Christ is able to do this. Christ, the one that you had killed, is the one who saves. So therefore, mercy here, or mercy ministry, as we would call it in our days, is used as a vehicle for sharing the gospel, for speaking Christ, for exalting Christ, for glorifying Him, for telling people about Him. And this is an important understanding that we need to have in the book of Acts, especially as we go forward is that mercy minister, the wonders of God, are used by God to point to himself through Jesus. If we just, therefore, are fascinated only by the wonders, we miss the point. Because if you read down in, um, in the book of Acts, from verses 17 downwards, which is what we're going to be looking at next week, it looks at... It, uh, P Peter points to their own, these people's sins and calls them to repent. He's not offering free health care. He's not offering that anyone, who, or whatever struggles that you may have, come to us and now we are the miracle performers. There are things more important than that. There are sicknesses worse than not being able to walk. So in this instance, he prioritizes, he says, he uses this as a spectacle that points to the need to examine our own hearts, to turn to God in repentance and faith and to be given life from the author of life. This is different from how other people tend to think about miracles. Tend to think of them as an, an end in themselves, that you come to this church, you come to this preaching event, in order that you may experience this miracle in your life, and you stay there until you are perhaps chosen, until you have enough faith for that to, uh, to happen. But that is not the biblical way we see here. It's that the miracles were used by God to point others to Jesus and to point people to salvation. Salvation from sin. Sin whose impact is more crippling than not being able to walk. 
blinds us more than not being able to see. Sin that blocks us from being adopted into God's family. And become to become his children. So the end goal, as we see in this passage, is to see Christ, is to experience Christ for who he is and what he is and why he has come into the world. So therefore, even this miracle is used by God for that purpose. Last week, we were, after the church meeting, we went and sat and spoke about uh, the plan for next year. And one of the things we spoke about is how can we serve one another, how can we serve the community around us through acts of mercy. We spoke about how can we love one another, especially those of us who are in need. How can we love our community? especially those who are in need. But what we see in this passage is that, yes, we are called to love those who are among us, to care for one another, and to care for those who don't know God. But that care needs to be pointed towards, directed towards the care that God offers through Christ the need that all of us have through Jesus, that we are able to, um, that can only be met through the forgiveness of sin. This is to, sober, to sort of remind us that even in whatever we call the soup kitchen, whatever it may be, if it's just a soup kitchen, if it's just giving money to people, and no encouragement through the words to live lives that are in obedience to it. We are not there. We are halfway there. We are ending uh, early at verse 10. We're not making the connection between the wonders of God and the word of God. The sharing of God's word needs to be priority always. This is not to say that acts of service are not important. They are. But they need to be pointed towards Christ. They need to be helping people to know him and experience grace that is found only in him. This is also to those who have come to experience um, the generosity from the church. We have come to be loved and cared for by the church. If that is all that you experienced, that's not enough. We are called to, to also think about your own sin, to turn from it in faith and be forgiven for it, to have a relationship with God that goes beyond just the hands of God that you too can be adopted into his family and be called his child. That's the encouragement for us here. So therefore, as we go forward to look at the book of Acts, 
Let's remind ourselves of this. That the wonders of God exist that we may know the person of God through Jesus Christ who died. It is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to think holistically about our ministries, to think holistically about our personal evangelism, that, yes, we may not shrink back from caring about the material needs of those around us, as your disciples cared about the, the needs of that man who had been disabled all his life. But also, Lord, that prayer you'd help us to do more than just care for, for physical needs. But to remember that, that a body is not just the material, but it has a soul as well, and that soul is going to be separated from you if that person's sins is not forgiven, are not forgiven in Christ. Help us to grasp that, Lord. And help us as well, those of us who are in the church, you have experienced the generosity of the church, but do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Draw them near to you, Lord. Help them see that their biggest need is to have their sins forgiven. And their biggest need is to have their sins forgiven more important than any other need. I pray, Lord, when that first need is met, that they will contemplate and think about this, their most important need. I pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please let us stand. I'm going to sing together our last song, I think. Uh, I think it's uh, Lord, I lift your name on high.